Hi, this is Mitch Landrew, founder and president of E Pluribus Unum, and welcome to the Divided by Design podcast series presented by E Pluribus Unum. We're a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization whose mission is to build a more just, equitable, and inclusive South, uprooting the barriers that have long divided the region and our country by race and by class. Race courses through every facet of our lives. I don't think there's been a moment in my life when I haven't been thinking about or working on these issues personally or politically. In 2015, while serving as mayor of New Orleans, I led the controversial effort to remove four Confederate statues from our city. This action, following the Charleston AME murders by Dylan Roof, helped to ignite a national discussion about Confederate monuments and symbols, along with a broader discussion about how we talk about our past and current injustices. Now, taking down these statues was and remains important because symbols really do matter. But it's all for naught if we don't first change the attitudes, the systems, the institutions that allow them to stand in the first place. So E Pluribus Unum has been on a journey to unearth solutions to bridge our divides. Our team traveled across the South extensively, visiting 28 communities across 13 states. We talked to hundreds of individuals and listened to them for long periods of time to try to understand and to hear what it is they felt and what it is they believed. Our first report, Divided by Design, Findings from the American South, focused on how residents experience issues of race and class in their communities. One of our major findings was that too few people, particularly white people, truly understand the scale and scope of racism in America, including our history and how racism still permeates today's institutions. In fact, many of them just flat out denied it. As a result, racism is too often narrowly defined, particularly by white people, as overt individual acts rather than systemic injustices. Today, we're going to launch our first of seven-part series, Divided by Design podcast, with a discussion on race and equity in America, including the history of racial inequality in the United States, how systemic racism has divided and crippled this country and hurt us all, and the need for audacious and courageous leadership to create the change that we all so desperately need to be a just and equitable America. When we founded E Pluribus Unum in 2018, we did so with the idea to fulfill America's promise of justice and opportunity for all. We have to break down the barriers and the systems that have divided us for generations. We created the Truth Action Reconciliation Series with this belief in mind. We started with conversations around the truth, of our past and the systems that were purposely created to divide us. Today, we begin with the action conversations, focusing on the good work that folks are doing to change systems and to inspire us to explore other ways to participate in creating the America we all want and deserve. Once again, we will cover criminal justice, health equity, economic equity, and democracy in our topics. We welcome you to Divided by Design podcast presented by E Pluribus Unum. Racial inequality in America today is not a new issue. It roots back to the arrival of slave ships on our shores now more than 400 years ago. Over that time, we've struggled to provide everyone with the rights granted to us in our country's founding documents, starting with freedom. In the United States of America, as you know, um, at our infancy, at our birth, we declared that all men are created equal. Uh, That was the social commitment that we made to ourselves. But when we made that commitment, 
we actually knew that it, that was really a hypocritical state. And, and uh, racism has been this nation's Achilles heel from the beginning. We're talking to advocates, historians, and experts. We hope to walk you through how we got here and how we can move forward towards healing and reconciliation. The truth is, we don't have a deficit of ideas in this country, but we do have a deficit of courage. And what a price we have all paid. Here's Mark Morial, president and CEO of the National Urban League, talking about the history of voting in this country. The important thing for Americans of this generation to believe is that there was never any intention for voting and the franchise to be universal and available to all. The mindset at that time was that it belonged to the favored few, white men of privilege and white men of property. And it was so ensconced uh, in the Constitution in in the founding principles of of the nation. Voting rights allowed white males to control the power structure of American government, while slavery was an economic boon that financially benefited all white Americans during that time. The racial wealth gap has never closed, as Danielle Solomon of the Center for American Progress has noted. Slavery is the first institutional economic system that we had in America. Upwards of $14 trillion were made of free labor off of Black people in America. That wealth um, was inherited by white Americans across the country. That is an amount of wealth that you cannot just replace with one individual policy or one check. It's all about a complete structural reform. Imagine the impact of that more than $14 trillion in wealth generated by slavery. And yet, at the end of the Civil War, there was a small glimmer of hope, but it, too, was wiped out. Dr. Eddie Gloud, best-selling author and department chair of African-American studies at Princeton, discusses the price we have paid for the Civil War and backlash to Reconstruction. You know, you think about, you know, the Civil War, it's the moment in which we had the founding of the modern U.S. nation-state. An idea of citizenship untethered from race emerges in this kind, in this instance. 13th, 14th, 15th Amendments, in some ways... Radical Reconstruction is an attempt to do our first works over in interesting sorts of ways. But what happens in this moment? There's an immediate counter-revolution. And that counter-revolution is rooted in a set of assumptions about who ought to be valued and who who ought to be devalued, who ought to be extended dignity, and who ought to be disregarded. While the Reconstruction era saw the development of numerous independent and thriving black communities all across the American South, and hundreds of black men gained massive political power as congressmen and senators in the United States House and Senate due to their newfound voting rights. This era also saw the rise of the Ku Klux Klan and other groups determined to suppress black voting rights and economic power. So part of what we see in these moments of possible transformation is a reassertion of the value gap that then leads to policy decisions, right? In whether it's Jim Crow laws, whether it's convict leasing. The U.S. Supreme Court's Plessy versus Ferguson decision in 1896, which mandated separate but equal status between the races, began a period in American history that included racial codes against black people and the advent of institutional racism. Here's Mark Morial breaking down how language and ideology has been used to control people of color. What institutional racism is all about, it means that 
disparities are the natural order. And we people were taught, particularly white Americans were taught, there was an effort to suggest that there was an inherent inferiority in black people. And that's why they were where they were. That it was their own fault. It was their own doing. It was their own deficiencies. Following the red summer of 1919, which was named such because more than 40 independent black communities were burned to the ground, including Tulsa's Black Wall Street, Omaha, Nebraska, and Elaine, Arkansas, very little was done in future years by the U.S. government to support black economic growth. Listen to Dr. Drew Faust, the President Emeritus and the Arthur Kingsley Porter University professor at Harvard University, speak on the long-term ramifications of FDR's New Deal. One, just one place you didn't mention that I think is often stunning to people to understand is how the New Deal was oh. structured in such a powerfully pro-white way that um, in order to keep the Southern senators on board with the Democratic Party, Franklin Roosevelt made all these appalling compromises and didn't include, for example, domestic labor or agricultural labor in many of the New Deal benefits. Or then we look after World War II and we see how housing benefits were made available or not available based on race. Here's Dr. Eddie Glau dissecting the wealth gap's roots in history. One of the things that, I mean, I think the point to the New Deal is so important because this is the period in which we begin to see the emergence of the vaunted American middle class, mm-hmm. right? So the wealth gap that we're experiencing today isn't just simply, isn't the result of the laziness of Black people. 12 years after the passage of the uh, Fair Housing Act of 1968, we elect Ronald Reagan, who is charged to dismantle it all. What is that? That's a reassertion of the belief that whiteness ought to accord you a certain kind of value, a certain kind of benefit. On our journey across the South, we talk to citizens of all walks of life about what matters to them and how divisions by race and class have impacted their lives. Listen to this Richmond, Virginia resident who acknowledges how institutionalized racism is alive and well in that city. I'm a student of urban planning, and in my studies of that here in this city, race played quite a specific role on how we rated neighborhoods, on what neighborhoods were deemed slums, on what neighborhoods were raised, um, on what neighborhoods got sewage, uh, plumbing, etc., etc., and it still continues to this day. And now... We look at the year 2020, one of the most turbulent and revolutionary years of the 21st century due to the COVID-19 virus, presidential turmoil in an election year, and massive racial protest ignited by the killings of Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, and Breonna Taylor. We now ask how institutional and systemic racism is viewed today and what is being done to confront racial inequity during this very unique period in American history. Here's Assistant Professor of Psychology at Delta State University, Dr. Tamika Simmons, on the cyclical nature of racism throughout history. Weave in a better understanding of history and how it has colored where we are and where we're going from the ships of 1619 to the Emancipation Proclamation to the Civil Rights Movement, including the murder of Emmett Till and the murder of Martin Luther King Jr. And most recently, the murder of George Floyd, the constant 
has been racism and the fight of Black America for social equity, equality, and justice, and the notion that conditions for Black folks are made better after every pivotal moment is just untrue. In fact, in some cases, is made worse through systems and the intentional lack of inclusion where perceived advancements are always met with a systemic barrier. And we have to talk about these conditions because we keep seeing a repeat of history. That's why this conversation is so important. So we can be begin to do what we have failed to do, and that is be intentional and honest about the discussion of race. We find ourselves in this position because too many continue to ask, why are these conversations important? And that question is rooted in a privilege that not all Americans have. And that privilege comes at a cost. And that cost is the price people of color continue to pay to live in America. A 65-year-old black female from Richmond talks about the dilemma of not knowing when joblessness is racially motivated in an economy where it's more often who you know and not what you know that matters. As a black person, when you don't get a job, you don't know whether it's because you were the uh, you were not qualified or because it's black. That's always a question. And so, but it all comes full circle because the education, where you live, the crime, all of that, and what plays a big role that people don't talk about a lot is the trauma that kids experience. Jeff Rakes and his wife Tricia are co-founders of the Rakes Foundation working towards a just and inclusive society where all young people have the support they need to reach their full potential. Let's listen to Jeff explain the complexity of changing the system and the possibilities of this moment. System change is complicated. It's hard. Sometimes it's very de demoralizing. It can take a, a long time. It requires sustained energy. But in the wake of George Floyd, what we're seeing in the streets, what we're seeing in the polling, more and more white people are waking up. Uh, and the, the reality is it's not just police violence problem. It's a long-standing structural systemic racist, racism problem. And so what we need is a wide cross-section. We need communities and sectors coming together. Here's Drew Faust separating truth from fiction when it comes to the concept of a quote-unquote post-racial society. What's striking to me is how there are these moments where society says, all right, well, the work is done, you know, slavery's over, the work is done, and, and a kind of delusion that there's no inequity left, and then something else happens and there's no inequity left. And a failure on the part of Americans of so, so many different backgrounds to recognize the continuing oppression um, mm -hmm. that is built into the system. And I felt that so powerfully when we elected a black president and there was all this noise about now we're post-racial, it's all done. And, and so I think part of truth is recognizing how it's not done and this reemergence of the um, superiority, notions of white superiority just keeps making it not done. Now listen to a 53-year-old white female share her thoughts and feelings about Confederate monuments and their effect on African Americans. I just think that people get angry about the Civil War and there's no common communication 
or trying to get together to talk to each other about it. And I assume you're not from Richmond. I'm not. Okay, and there's monuments of Civil War soldier, I guess, leaders, Confederate ones, and, you know, I know they want to tear down monuments because people think that it's offensive to African Americans. So I just feel like that's kind of a divisive thing, the monuments are, but I don't think we need to tear them down and forget how far we've come with history. Now listen to Dr. Simmons on the power of racist symbols hiding in plain sight. For 126 years, the state of Mississippi flew that flag. And just like Mississippi's old flag and the old flag of Georgia and Florida, Arkansas, Alabama, and other states who've had the Confederate symbol in that flag, racism, just like with those flags, have been hiding in plain sight for more than 100 years. And the monuments like those that Mayor Landry began taking down in New Orleans and those around the country who are calling to be removed, that stuff has been in our face for years. They didn't just emerge. And we are naive to think that those symbols are benign. They represent the lifeblood of a racist ideology that is a cancer to our nation. What we see when we look across history is that new oppressive systems always replace old ones. And this is the cycle that must be broken that can only happen through a reimagining of an America not built on the backs of slaves, but building now alongside brothers and sisters of every race, creed and tongue in a way that unifies rather than divides us. Here's LeVar Stoney, Richmond, Virginia's 80th mayor on the importance of strong leadership. People want leadership, right? They don't want leadership that is uh, hesitant or that is uh, calculated. They want people to lead with their heart, be bold and be audacious all for the right reasons. And that's the sort of leadership I think we need right now, particularly in this summer of fighting against injustices and whatnot. It's going to take a lot of hard work to root out systemic uh, systemic racism and systemic injustices that we have in our system. And we, we have to do that in housing, in public education, in health care. Dr. Eddie Gloud clarifies the difference between equality and charity, a very important distinction. As long as white America is thinking that racial justice and racial equality is something that they can give to people as a charitable gesture, as opposed to building a more just world, then when they finish giving charity, they're going to go back to their segregated spaces and pat themselves on the back like they did in the aftermath of the Civil War and Reconstruction, like they did when King says it seems that people were so much more concerned about civility than they were about justice. They were more concerned about Bull Connor's dogs and hoses than they were about justice. Right. So if we view racial justice and racial equality as a charitable enterprise or a philanthropic gesture, as something white Americans can give to me or to us, then we're caught in a frame that dooms us to repeat it. Mayor Stoney believes it's essential for our leaders to promote the idea of coming together. You know, we as a country come together during crisis. We come together in our most vulnerable times. And right now we are within the within that moment and 
we haven't had a leader bring this all together saying, you know what, we're all in this together. Right. So we need a uniter. Uh, we've had someone who's doubled down on the playbook of division, doubled down on uh, the playbook of uh, uh, exclusion. And if uh, if they can lead in that sort of way, bringing us together, particularly in the moments when we need it the most mass shootings, uh, a public health crisis, that to me is going to uh, go far. It's going to help a lot of people uh, come together and I think get behind the agenda. Jeff Rakes emphasizes the importance of those in leadership looking more like and representing as a whole the people they represent. What we need are leaders who recognize that all sectors of society have a responsibility to speak up and to act. A year ago, the Business Roundtable put out a statement that shocked the business world. It's not just about creating shareholder value. It's about the purpose of a corporation embracing all of the stakeholders. And now I'd like to bring in a 50-year-old black male who put bluntly how racial stereotypes have caused a great disservice to African-Americans. You know, we want safe places, mm-hmm. we want healthy spaces, we want, the, we want the same things. And so I think so often that that stereotype that has been perpetuated has done a disservice to, to African-Americans and to people of color. And it is our responsibility saying, how do we tell that story? How do we tell that um, narrative and not depend on someone else to tell that, that story and that narrative um, for us? Here's Mayor Stoney telling us how strongly he believes that this generation has a real chance to make a difference. It's time we have an opportunity to reckon with this issue of race, right? This is an issue that, unfortunately, this has been a cloud over our nation's head for for far too long. And there are there's a generation out there who believe, and, I, and here's the thing, I appreciate and support that optimism, believe that we can get it right. This cannot just be a time for symbolism and tokenism, right? Mm-hmm. We have to do the work, right? You ha- we have to do the work and we have to show the work as well. Because the test for me is when people say, well, is it a, this is a racial reckoning? I always reply back with, well, the proof will be in the pudding, Yeah. right? If yeah. the gaps remain between black and white uh, as they are today in 2020 and 2030 in educational achievement, in housing and generational wealth, if the boards of these institutions, uh, philanthropic or or in the private sector, remain the same and not as diverse as they could be, or even in uh, our government institutions a decade from now, then I would say we've missed our moment. Dr. Simmons says the people have spoken and it's time for change. Well, the only wrong thing you can do is say nothing at all. And what I think is encouraging about what we're seeing across the nation is we see an elevation of voices in a way that we have not seen in modern history, right? Since the civil rights movement, we've seen our young folks out on the front lines in ways and initiating in ways that we have not seen as a collective across the nation. And so what I think is really important that, you know, we subject ourselves to repeating uh, the mistakes of the past. Uh, When we do that, we normalize this unhealthy oppression that prevents us from enjoying the benefit of a collective effort for a great nation. And our systems have created conditions where there is a zero-sum gain in inequities in education, health, economic well-being. Uh, And when people feel they are getting ahead, 
because of racism, the overall system suffers. And the fact of the matter is that when we reduce and eliminate racial disparities, America does better. And this whole notion of adaptive change, that when one group does better, another group does bad, it's just a cancerous line of thinking that threatens the morality of the country. So we all have to take an ownership in, in where and how we show up in this quest toward making sure that the American dream is possible for every American in our nation, no matter what they look like, no matter what they believe, no matter, no matter who they love, we have to make sure that America is a safe space for everyone to live and be happy and to love. I think that personal, that personal commitment is a starting place. Dr. Gloud inspires us to be courageous and audacious in this moment. This, the real fundamental uh, aspect of our living, right? When we know that this place is broken, what can we do to ensure systemic long-term change? We have to dare to imagine boldly. We have to be creative. We have to freedom dream, as Robin Kelly would say. We have to be bold. We have to dare to imagine a different way of being together. That's the key. Thanks for listening to our first episode of Divided by Design as we look to the leaders of the past and the ideals which will guide us into a brighter future. As we scan through the history of the South and our nation at large, time and time again, we see evidence that we are truly divided by design. Nothing's going to change that until we acknowledge our past and deal with it truthfully and intentionally invest in building bridges. Over our next episodes, we'll dive deeper into policy areas. What are the divides? How did we get here? How does it impact us all? And then we start to look to the solutions that get us closer to racial equity. The next episode in the Divided by Design podcast series will focus on economic opportunity, who holds it, and avenues for true equality. For E Pluribus Unum, I'm Mitch Landrew. Thanks for listening. For more information on this podcast series, or how to get involved in our efforts to advance racial equity in the South, go to www.unumfund.org and follow at Unum Fund on social media.